One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is going to catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I want to know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Schulman, President and CEO of PayPal. And today I'm delighted to have Adina Friedman, the President and CEO of NASDAQ, join me. So quick background on Adina. Um, Adina, correct me if I get any of this wrong. Uh, born in Baltimore, uh, went to an all-girls school for 10 years. Um, had a dress code there, always wore blue, <laughs> yes. from what I remember. Um, then went to Williams College, um, where you were a poli-sci major, uh, majoring in uh, um, kind of Soviet studies at the time, for uh, when there was a Soviet Union. Fluent in Russian and, uh, and French, or at least at one time. Um, and uh, became a pilot at the age of 18 years old, and now re-picking that up uh, again. Um, went to join uh, NASDAQ back in uh, 1993. Held a number of roles there, uh, running uh, P&L, running strategy uh, group, becoming president. Uh, and then eventually president and CEO uh, in January of uh, 17. Um, he left for a couple of years to be the chief financial officer and uh, managing director of Carlisle uh, before you came back. And um, uh, two boys, uh, a great husband, uh, and, um, uh, and a life that is balanced between what you do outside of NASDAQ uh, and with NASDAQ. And so... Um, and one last thing that's very appropriate for this show uh, is that you're also a black belt in Taekwondo. Um, and we've had many a conversation mm -hmm. about uh, mixed martial arts. So, Adina, welcome. So great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, really. That was, uh, that was a nice beginning. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's start off with um, uh, maybe um, a little bit about NASDAQ. Most people have an image of NASDAQ, what it is, a, a stock exchange, um, but you've taken NASDAQ on a transformational journey uh, to really become a platform company. Can you talk a little bit about that journey, what NASDAQ is today, and uh, how you thought about it and, and where you're leading the company going forward? Sure. Well, thank you. Well, you're, you're right. I think that the vast majority of people recognize NASDAQ as being a great stock exchange here in the United States, and we're incredibly proud of that. And that's obviously the foundation of, of who we've always been. But in the last 15 years, and really more, even more in the last 10 years, we've really transformed ourselves into a global technology company that serves the capital markets around the world. Mm -hmm. So today we have a great stock exchange. We're a large options exchange, futures exchange in the States. We own the exchanges in Sweden, um, Denmark, and Finland, as well as a few other countries in Europe. And we um, also have a global market technology business where we provide 
all the technology we use for our own exchanges, we provide that technology to over 110 other markets around the world. And so we've been able to really take our mission of being um, a, a true a driver of economic growth in our own countries, and right. we've been able to bring that as a partner to exchanges all over the world to help their own economies grow. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty big change um, and a large transformation. I'm wondering, you come on board several years ago as the new leader, um, and you're making your mark, um, and part of that mark is continuing to drive that transformation. Um, but part of that is creating your own style, um, your leadership um, expectations, the values that are important at NASDAQ, um, the culture that you want to establish in moving the company forward. Can you talk a little bit about that, maybe what some of the differences were um, and some of the challenges in establishing the values and culture that you wanted NASDAQ to stand for? Well, I think the great thing is I started off with a strong foundation. I think NASDAQ truly is a mission-driven company mm -hmm. in the financial space because we do serve that neutral arbiter. We serve as a neutral arbiter for the markets around the world. We have this great technology uh, backbone that we've always been a part of and that we, we really were a fintech company back in 1971 when we created yeah. NASDAQ. Yeah. But I think that, so we have this great foundation and a great pride in our among our employees for what we do and the impact we have on economies around the world. So great starting point. I think where we really want to make sure, though, that we're continuing to develop and expand our culture is really in the, in the areas of, of innovation, but also, frankly, in the, in, in the areas of having fun. You know, so, yeah. and, and having more collaboration across the organization. We have been, in a way, a product company for a long time. And what I really have transforming the company is being a client-first, client-driven organization, a solutions company, that we are there to provide solutions to our customers, whether they're corporate clients, like PayPal being yeah. a listed client, yeah. or they're a broker-dealer, or an institutional investor, or another exchange, we're there to help them carry themselves into the future with technology solutions that really change the way that the economy works. And that's our job today. So that's a very innovative, um, you have to bring a lot of innovation into mm -hmm. that culture to mm -hmm. make that work. But a lot of innovation's fun. So you also need to create that sense of fun and that sense of curiosity and that sense of working collaboratively together to make sure that we're always driving to our clients. And, yeah. and I think that's, uh, that's been a bit of a change for us. Yeah. I think um, you know a lot of companies, including myself, we talk about like the way to be a great and enduring company is to be the ultimate customer champion. Really look at everything from the outside in, mm -hmm. figure out what the pain points are for a customer, um, create solutions that address those. But being that, and so people say that, but it's actually really hard to be a customer champion because you have to challenge in many ways, the way you work, you need to, I think, work end-to-end -end, mm -hmm. as opposed to siloed sort of approaches to a customer because mm -hmm. most customers think about their problems as sort of a, uh, an end-to-end. -end. They don't mm -hmm. want to see your solution uh, and see your organization within the solution you're putting to them. Um, and the other thing um, that you need to do is you just you need to be creative. You need to think about things. You need to challenge maybe where you used to make profits and what your business model looked like and mm -hmm. be much more customer focused. Have you found that sort of um, idea of being this customer champion, which you really um, 
uh, symbolize, and you've told me many a story where like you've come back to your team and said, you know what? We're not being a customer champion here. We need to be better. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, it is definitely one of the biggest challenges that we face as an organization. I think that especially when you're doing well yeah. and you have success and you've had an inside out orientation that's driven to that success, um, it's hard to suddenly say, you know, we can carry that success forward for a while, but we know, if we look at a decade in time, that the entire industry is going to be different than it is today. And if we continue to be inside out, we will not be here in 10 years, or we will not be who we are today. We won't be as successful. So using that as a catalyst, we've been driving a big, what we call strategic pivot within the organization. And that strategic pivot is entirely related to going outside in. Yeah. And yeah. really looking at our clients over the next decade and saying to ourselves, where do we see their challenges and their opportunities? Where do we see technology coming in and disrupting or changing how they do business? And where do we have a natural role in helping that change occur in a way that makes them more successful? That entire strategic activity, that took the first year, uh, actually really the first nine months when I yeah. came into the role and then we presented it to the board, we presented it to our shareholders, we did an investor day, and we made some key decisions coming out of that that allow us to be much more client focused. Mm -hmm. But it is a big transformation. We just launched um, just two weeks ago our a new program where we have all of the sales and and client success leaders within the organization come together to meet with me every other week now across wow. the whole company to make sure we're talking about clients more holistically, yeah. to make sure that we are looking at it. If we have three different people going in and talking to the same customer, perhaps they should be talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so first, yeah. yes. So <laughs> those are the types of things that we're yeah. really developing within NASDAQ to make sure we're living that, that, that um, ambition of being client first. Uh, that's fantastic. So you have this unique um, perspective because so many companies, leading edge tech companies, but really across all industries, list on NASDAQ. You've gotten to know their management teams, you've gotten to know their business models, who they are. What uh, common traits do you see for companies that have been successful, um, grown their market cap, made a mark in, in the marketplace? Uh, versus those that maybe have been a little bit less successful. Can, I think it'd be fascinating for people mm -hmm. to hear that from your perspective. Sure. Well, I think on the positive side, I would say that companies that I see that you just can tell are going to continue to drive success are those that are always hungry mm -hmm. um, and always trying to change themselves or reinvent what they do to serve their customers. And so, but it is, it's not just being client first, but it's always challenging the organization from the inside to say, how can we be better? Yeah. And even when you're number one in your market, it's not that you're not, you're, if you're not, if you're competitor driven, you are limiting your opportunity because all you're doing is saying, I need to be better than the guy next to me. I think that's if such an important point. If you're client yeah. driven, yeah. you're driving yourself to be the best that you can be. And your clients, frankly, are never totally satisfied. Yeah. So you should never assume that what you do is perfect, right? Those that are either complacent or arrogant mm -hmm. or fearful Mm -hmm. of what the change will do to them then and therefore they're not able to make those decisions to kind of reinvent yourself those are the companies that you have to assume over time that they'll find that they're they're being displaced or that they continue to and they may have diminishment now some of those are in protected industries where it'll take a while yeah. but it, at the end of the day if you look over time those are the companies that just ultimately get get disrupted yeah and there's so many ways 
to be disrupted uh, these days. I think one of the biggest changes that you know, are definitely going to crash upon all of us, or if not, have started to do that already, are all the changes in technology, whether it be uh, quantum computing and the changing um, in processing power that we'll see, uh, changes in machine learning, algorithms, explosion of data, the advent of, of 5G infrastructure that will mm -hmm. enable uh, Internet of Things to happen. There's so much happening in, in the technology uh, space. How do you see that? How do you see that impacting um, different industries, maybe the financial services industry in particular? How should we think about that? I do believe that the technologies you mentioned, and particularly when you put them all together, yeah, have exactly. the impact have the impact of completely changing every industry. I mean, I think every company suddenly has to see themselves as a form of a technology company. You know, they have to bring technology expertise into their industry that they may not have had to do before. They have to think about new ways of doing business with their clients. They have to expect that our clients are going to have higher expectations in terms of what they're able to deliver for them. And they have to be mindful of of new biases that might creep into their business that they have to make sure don't mm -hmm. in the context of delivering those mm -hmm. services to clients. So there's just a whole new way. And then, of course, with quantum, you've got a whole new paradigm around security and other things to make sure that you are staying ahead of those that are, are not exactly you know aligned with you. So I think... It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice way of putting it. <laughs> so I, what my, my view on this one is, is that NASDAQ in particular and the financial services industry are accused aware of these technologies. They are becoming true experts. We are becoming true experts in quantum, in machine intelligence, in the cloud, and in blockchain, because all of those things together can really be create a step change in how people interact with the capital markets. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure on the defensive side, we um, use machine intelligence today to drive a surveillance technology that we provide to 150 broker-dealers, 50 exchanges, and 18 regulators. We have a very advanced technology that helps them root out manipulation and fraud. However, machine intelligence is just such a great empowering capability that will allow us to take that to the next level. Yeah. I think that, and then if you look at things like on the offensive side, um, using data and analytics to make find predictive signals and to make smarter investment decisions, we're just at the beginning of that that journey. Making sure that's a democratized opportunity for every investor is one of the key uh, key things that we've been focused on in terms of providing alternative data out to the industry. So I think it's going to impact so many things yeah, in I financial services. Mm -hmm. yeah. And at the same time, I think uh, not every company is quite ready to take that journey. So positioning yourself for success is a proactive effort, yeah. and it's something we're extremely focused on. Yeah, I do think the changes in probably most industries around the world, but financial services for sure, the changes in the next five to 10 years are gonna be more profound than the changes we've seen in the last 50 to maybe 75 years. I just think there's gonna be that much change. Explosion of mobile phones, uh, all cash moving to the digital, retail moving into uh, digital commerce. Um, it's, it's gonna be something that we all need to be uh, prepared for as yeah. that change goes on. I would say the last major change that really transformed at least the capital markets was the invention of the internet. So yeah. having online brokers launch in 1995 completely democratized trading. Yeah. 
democratize investing. It made it so millions of people could have direct interaction with capital markets and make their own decisions. And that was an incredible invention. I mean, it was just, it was a game-changing moment for our industry. And luckily, NASDAQ being the only electronic stock exchange at that time was really well positioned yeah. for that. But I would say now, it's it, this next wave of change is just as dramatic. Yeah. And I think we have to recognize that as being, what does that mean? And how do you position yourself to be the leader in that? So one of the key areas of technology development we've been doing is reinventing our entire market infrastructure technology onto a cloud-based yeah. uh, microservice platform that allows us to be able to manage data across the entire stack, pre-trade risk management through to settlement, have all of the data be in a, in a harmonized way available to our clients, make it so that we also have better ability to find those signals, find um, root out fraud, make it so that it's an end-to-end -end experience on a platform that does not have to sit in a data center. Yeah. I mean, it sits somewhere in a data center, but yeah. it doesn't have to sit yeah. on your own. Um, and that gives you the benefit of a much bigger community and continues to democratize the capital markets around the world. Yeah. And we're very excited about that. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. Okay, so let's... Um uh, change the past a little bit um, and maybe uh, talk um, about your leadership path. Um, you know, you are now a presence on the world stage. Um, you're at every conference that, uh, um, where I am at least, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, on the stage uh, speaking to different world leaders, to different technology uh, leaders. Uh, to, as you mentioned, clients, you travel across the world uh, on this. And um, it's incredibly impressive um, to look at your career and your successes. But, you know, it never, it, you know, you never start that way. <laughs> you Maybe yeah. if you're fortunate, um, you have a degree of success in your uh, career. But what were some of the biggest obstacles you overcame uh, as you... Um, um, worked your way through your career? I think, I think that the two most obvious ones to me were fear and mm. uh, that sense of being kind of overwhelmed with responsibility. So I had children starting at age 26. So I've kind of always had children as I've moved through yeah. my career. I have an incredible husband and partner in life who we really talked about it right at the beginning saying this is an equal partnership. Yeah. Let's make sure that we work that way together. And he has it been incredible, incredible in terms of being such an amazing dad at the same time as having his own career. But I think that that there's still going to be moments when, especially when the kids are young, when you just feel like yeah. it's just too much. Yeah. And and I would say a couple things. I think the first thing is don't assume it's too much. Um, have that conversation again with your spouse, with your boss, with your coworkers, with just your family. My mom was hugely important to me in those critical moments of saying you can do it yeah. and this, you know, and recognize the alternative isn't as good as it looks. So, <laughs> so right. really just stick with it. You're going to find a path and, and, and being so supportive in that way. My husband, definitely, I worked part-time for four years. He worked part-time for several years. So we, we made it's it work together. Yeah. Um, but it is something where you ha don't assume you have to do it alone mm -hmm. and find a path. Employers, if you are a valued employee, they want to find a way to make it so you can be successful during those moments. Yeah. And then the second thing is fear. Yeah. Uh, I think that I had a couple of moments in my career where I took kind of a leap step forward and the company really made a bet on me. 
mm-hmm. and the my and the leader made a bet on me and and you definitely have moments of self doubt like really of course. is this yeah. you know am I ready and first of all don't express those at the office <laughs> but take them home right and find both of course your family but also someone who's independent who can just look at your career and look at you and knows you well who can just give you independent advice and inevitably they're very likely to say if your boss thinks you're ready then you're ready and Mm -hmm. you don't you're underestimating Mm -hmm. yourself and so those moments I think were really critical because I decided to let that fear drive me and make me work harder and be better at it Um, and that honestly helped me overcome the fear and so by the time I was giving, given the opportunity to be the CFO, I didn't have any fear. Like, I was ready. Yeah. Uh, and you, you need to find those moments where you need to build that confidence. Yeah. Do you think that being a um, black belt in Taekwondo, um, all those years of doing different sparring, what were the lessons you've learned from that? Uh, you're now testing uh, for um, second degree um, in black belt. Um, and so what are some of those lessons? What are some of the ways that that's helped you in terms of your leadership style? Well, I think the first thing is that I think Taekwondo, I, I go to classes that are primarily adults, but I also watch the kids' classes. Yeah. And my kids did Taekwondo too. Uh-huh. So I got to see them go through it. Yeah. And this sense of self-reliance, the sense that you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it to please someone else. You know, now it's a big, that's a big part of the lessons for kids. Um, and that sense of uh, taking a hit and getting back up and getting over your fear. Yeah. So to me, that fear is, is something that when I spar, I mean, I, I'm fine on the forms. I love to learn the skills. But it's the sparring that is, you know, I'm fearful. And there's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. And learning to take the hit or give the hit. But yeah. to get back up and to get stay in there is something that I think has been hugely, hugely beneficial to me in my career. Yeah, fantastic. So um, prior to this interview, uh, we went out and um, I asked uh, all those people who follow me on LinkedIn to submit questions. So let me um, let me maybe read uh, two of them okay. uh, for you. Well, I'll do this one first and then the second one. So one person noted that while you grew up at NASDAQ, um, and you did spend a, a good uh, chunk of your career there, three years at Carlisle, but mostly at NASDAQ. So what did you learn outside of NASDAQ that you apply to your role today? And would you recommend other homegrown leaders spend at least some time elsewhere? Mm-hmm. So I do believe that I'll answer the second question first, which yeah. is it is completely situational. I think that I think for me, it was a very important step in my career. But for other people, I don't think it's necessarily the right thing to do or needed. And and, for, and certainly, there's no guarantee you're going to be invited be back. back. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I certainly didn't think that way when I left. So, so I, I left to go to Carlisle. First of all, you should always go run to an opportunity. Run to an opportunity. Don't go somewhere new because what's you know maybe because of what you don't you don't like where you are. Of course, if you don't like where you are, you should find a new opportunity, but make sure it's it's an opportunity that you really are excited about, yeah. right? But it was the hardest decision of my career by far. And it was very hard. Did I loved spend my like job. 12, 15 years at Nasdaq before that. 17. 17. Yeah. yeah. And I'd been given so many opportunities. They'd been so loyal to me and mm-hmm. it's been so great. So it was a very hard decision, but I'm glad I did it 
because, number one, I did learn a different part of the industry. I came back with a much more holistic understanding of how investments are decided yeah. on and they're made and they're managed. Um, the second is that it was a, an amazing opportunity to take a company public because, obviously, we help a lot of companies go yeah. public. Yeah. So I was able to bring very tangible knowledge back to that role. Um, and then I think the third thing was I was able to prove myself somewhere else and yeah. to know that it and to have to prove myself somewhere yeah. else. And that was, that was the biggest risk. And I'm, I'm glad I took it because I think I did a good job, but I also was able to expand and grow myself as a leader. Mm -hmm. And so for those reasons, it was good. But it's not great for everyone. You know, it's not something, and, and I was just fortunate to be asked Be able back. to come back. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. Okay, this next question is um, somewhat different, okay? Um, so this follower on LinkedIn asked, do you pour your cereal first and then your milk, or your milk first and then your cereal? I mean, doesn't everyone do cereal first? Well, it's a good question because <laughs> I, I definitely pour my cereal first, but I've been thinking about it. <laughs> why would someone pour their milk first? And I realize it's because you can, if you, can, if you know that you're always going to pour your milk up to a certain level, <laughs> then you're always going to pour the same amount of cereal. Right. Oh, good point. Um, yeah. Whereas sometimes I pour my cereal, I'm like, oh wow, I really poured a lot of cereal today. So. Not enough room for milk. <laughs> Not enough room for milk. <laughs> so I think that might be the reason why people pour their milk first. But I definitely am. I definitely pour my cereal first. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that question, uh, follower. Uh, that was very interesting. Okay. So let me get back to um, uh, one last. Uh, uh, topic for you. Um, and I really appreciate you being here, Dan. It's been fantastic. Um, you've been very vocal around the need for more women uh, and minorities to come into finance and tech. What particularly are you doing at NASDAQ that you found successful? And as you look across the industry, what are other companies doing that you've seen like, okay, I want to imitate that because they're having some degree mm -hmm. of success? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first thing is we're still very much on this journey. Yeah. And I think is I think we do have a you know, a wonderful complement of different genders and backgrounds. We're a global organization, so we operate all over the world. So we have people from every background working at NASDAQ. Yeah, yeah. But when we really try to create, one of the things we've done and been much more conscious of is having a diversity, inclusion, and belonging team that's not only within our people at NASDAQ group, but also in each of the offices. And I actually just met with them yesterday, in fact, to understand how we are creating programs that really bring all of our values into the offices and make sure that that sense of belonging is the one that I care about the yeah. most. Yeah. You have to make sure that anyone who wants to work at NASDAQ and who has the talent is welcomed and feels that they belong. Um, and that's that's an important thing. So. At the same time, we, we need to do a better job of bringing more diversity into NASDAQ. So we have signed the Parity Pledge, yeah. which uh, basically says that you should uh, you have to interview one woman candidate for every open VP rolling up. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was a very easy decision for us to do. And it has made a difference in terms of bringing in great too, and women. It has, made a, it has yeah. made a difference. But that also is at the top. So we've been trying to propagate that down the organization, mm -hmm. and we'll continue to work on That's that. A good idea. I 
I think that we have seven employee networks now that have been self-created by the employees um, yeah. and that cover a lot of different backgrounds, but we want to give them resources and capabilities to continue to have an impact. And then I think other than that, you have to make sure that you're walking the talk every day. Yeah. And if things, and, and being having your pulse on what's happening in the offices and making sure that you feel that the values are being well established and, and, um, and followed every day. Adina, thank you so much for uh, joining me. Really appreciate it. I'm sure everybody got a ton out of that, just like I did. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great you. to be with you. Yeah. Thanks.